Hey everyone. A boy lives forever, sees everyone around him die, falls in love with a way younger girl, and then watches her sleep. It was cuter when it was the plot of Wally. Today is our <laughs> Roast of Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Hold on tight, spider monkeys. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic and the father of a 17-year-old girl, so <laughs> I read this book very differently this time around. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. I'm horrified by how many preteen girls must have read this book and been like, oh, so this is love. <laughs> Twilight follows Edward Cullen and his vampire family, all born between the 16 and early 1900s, which explains why none of them is like, dude, she's 17. And this is The Book Pile. So quick reminder to please rate and review The Book Pile. If you do, we will belittle and control you, because apparently that's what love is. <laughs> Macho Wing said, I started listening to this while at the gym and almost dropped a lethal amount of metal on my clavicle because I couldn't keep from laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. And I also want to know what joke I said that made him do that. <laughs> so feel free to email us, Macho Wings, at thebookpilepodcast at gmail.com. Seriously, I, I, want, I need to know. <laughs> if you liked the neediness of that response, then you're going to love this book. <laughs> So before we get into this, I first want to express that I do recognize that Twilight is an easy target, like Justin Bieber or Nickelback or other Canadian musicians. I also <laughs> do not fault Stephanie Meyer for committing the time to write a novel she was proud of, and it's being enormously successful. Like It can be easy to make fun of something that's globally popular, but I would sell out in a minute to write a teen romance novel if I were guaranteed <laughs> to make $120 million. <laughs> That's what Google told me about Meyer's net worth. Wow. It's like she's her own industry. That's a crazy number. <laughs> yeah. And what she sells is delusion. <laughs> <laughs> I also admit that I, I enjoyed this book when it came out. I read it when I was 22. I had no idea what it was even about, but my sister read it and said that it was fun. I read it more as a, a mystery at the time, and it did hold my interest. I'd like to say that it doesn't hold up, but I don't think you can say that about something that never did. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm over it now. The movies ruined so much of it for me, but also just getting older. Like I feel like I've grown as a person for the same reason that I grew out of Goosebumps or Justin Bieber. But today... <laughs> I feel like we're poking fun at it, not just because of how immature it is, but also because it has some really unhealthy messages specifically for young girls. My preface with this book is that I love Jane Austen. I love Little Women. So I expected to like this and it was unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> My big fear right now is that this episode is going to do really well and then I'll have to read the other ones. <laughs> Finally, our next two books are Good Economics for Hard Times and A Series of Unfortunate Events, because we're just feeling happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, without any further ado, here are our favorite, well, the five lessons we took away from Twilight. <laughs> All right, lesson one. Kids, if you ever date someone like Edward, leave. So, <laughs> there are so many things. Let's start with the ages. So listen to this dialogue and tell me it doesn't sound like every creep. How old are you, Bella? I'm 17. You don't seem 17. <laughs> oh, no. And she says, his voice sounded frustrated for some reason I couldn't imagine. Can you not imagine, Bella? 
My friend Sarah once said that anytime a guy says a younger woman is mature for her age, he really just means she's hot and she's into me. (laughs) All right, next. He's so mean to her. So these are real quotes. Bella, you are utterly absurd. You are an idiot. You don't see yourself very clearly. I'll admit you're dead on about the bad things. (laughs) She gets hunted by a vampire and he says, it is partially your fault. If you didn't smell so appallingly luscious, he might not have bothered. (laughs) Another one. She thought she dreamed that he had stayed overnight. You're not that creative, he scoffed. (laughs) Another time, she calls him out for always lying to her and treating her badly, and he says, you've got a bit of a temper, don't you? Like, oh, yes, the problem is her. (laughs) Anyway, I know these are jokes, but people, like, really use these strategies. So Humans of New York interviewed a pickup artist, and he said, the first time you meet her, tell her she looks amazing, but never give her a full compliment again. She'll always chase that validation. Tell her she looks beautiful for her age. She looks good in this lighting. Keep her insecure with half compliments. Keep her feeling like there's something wrong with her. Of course it's manipulation, but why should I care? Oh, and that was Stephanie Meyer's husband. <laughs> I have always wondered when Stephanie Meyer's husband first read Twilight, if he was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is what she wants. <laughs> yeah. So while reading this book, I also collected some fun things that Edward says to Bella. And just just imagine that you're on a first date. <laughs> And the person across the table from you says those things. You eat, I'll talk. (laughs) Are you crying? He said, appalled. (laughs) Relax. Oh, gosh. Are you going to answer the question? And then finally, you need a healthy dose of fear. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know what you want your boyfriend to feel like is a police interrogator. So you want good boyfriend, bad cop. (laughs) So another thing, it's so funny to me that maybe the most popular romance of the 21st century is one where the man just straight up wants to eat the woman. (laughs) (laughs) So they'll be on a date and he's like, wow, Bella, you're so mysterious. I'm sorry. Your mom got remarried. That sounds so tough. I want to eat you so bad. (laughs) All right. Lesson two. When looking for a man, ignore every red flag, and you'll be happy. (laughs) So imagine it this way as I go through the rest of these. Imagine that Edward is a character in this book, but he is unattractive. (laughs) Would you still be rooting for Bella to get with him? I've tried to teach my daughter how a person does something is how they do everything. People say, like, look at how someone treats a server. Or look at how they treat their mom. For me, it's just more simply, how does someone treat someone when they don't have to be nice, Mm. um, when there are no consequences? If Edward acted in any of these ways to my daughter on the first date, I would plead with her to call it off. So at one point, he he says, sometimes I have a problem with my temper. Now, you can't get divorced nine years into a bad marriage and say you never saw it coming If this was your first conversation with a guy. Also, speaking of servers, the first time that they go to a restaurant together, he slips the hostess some money so that they can sit at a different table than the one that she was leading them to. (laughs) This guy, he's been around for over a century. You can just ask. 
<laughs> you can do that for free. <laughs> yeah. But it does make me want to try this. Like the next time I go to uh, Johnny Rockets, <laughs> they start taking me to a table. I'm going to whip out like a $1 bill that's folded in my palm and I'll go, George Washington wants to know if we can get a booth. <laughs> I once tried to convince my ex who moved here from Brazil that you're supposed to tip your dentist. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, he says something upsetting to Bella, and she says, as the narrator of the book, I would have been angry if his laughter wasn't so fascinating. (laughs) You know, Dave, you know how when someone says something that makes you really mad, uh, but then they have a a really intriguing (laughs) laugh that makes it all better? Also, if someone tells you your laugh is fascinating, that is not a compliment. (laughs) Well, and just the number of times he straight up controls her. Mm -hmm. The whole book, she talks about how much she doesn't want to go to prom. And then he takes her to prom against her will. And when she's mad, he's like, don't be difficult. He gets the nurse to give her drugs that she doesn't want. So he's like forcing her to be drugged. He'll, like, pick her up when she doesn't want to be picked up. He'll watch her sleep without her consent. He won't let her drive her car. (laughs) There's part where they're, like, figuring out how to make Bella escape, and she's like, does anyone want to hear my plan? And he's just like, no. He is so controlling. And, yeah, you wouldn't be cool with it if it were an ugly guy doing all those things. (laughs) He's like, you know why I like you? Because I can't read your thoughts, and also you do everything that I say. (laughs) I can't read your thoughts, but I can dictate your actions. <laughs> because I am 86 years older than you. So that's it for that one for me. I mean, my final red flag, which should be a red flag for anyone, but, you know, maybe look for the other fish in the sea if the person you're dating, when they get hungry, they become an unstoppable killing machine. <laughs> Yeah, maybe look for the other fish in the sea before dating the shark. (laughs) (laughs) All right, lesson three. When revising mythology, just add glitter. (laughs) So this is in reference to, if you haven't read the, the book or seen the movie, at one point Edward takes off his shirt and it's all, uh, he's just got a glittery chest and the direct sunlight. I think it's funny to try and change the classic vampire attribute of sunlight causing horrific death to just sunlight making you all sparkly. Sunlight causes horrific death for all of us. (laughs) That would be if a werewolf was like, nope, silver bullets don't kill us. They just turn our fur into Christmas lights. (laughs) Like it's such a it's such a weird move to be like <laughs> what he's so condescending about it. But he's like, tell me what you think about vampires. And she's like, You sleep in coffins, you die in the sun. And he's like, <laughs> Like those are actually like really cool macabre sort of, you know, horror tropes, but he's like, Oh no, no, it's like <laughs> We are so much lamer than that. <laughs> yeah. You idiot girl. <laughs> you ever get that uh, that twinkly chapstick? Uh, imagine <laughs> I rub that all over my body. <laughs> all right, lesson four. Write good characters. 
And I made this point because I couldn't fit all the things I hate about Edward into one point. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start with Bella. So she is the most dramatic person you've ever met. This is when she meets Jacob for the first time. Altogether a very pretty face. However, my opinion of his looks was damaged by the first words out of his mouth. You're Isabella Swan, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Bella, I sighed. Like, she's so affronted that he doesn't know her nickname. (laughs) Remember that part where Darcy was like, Elizabeth, yes? And she's like, (sighs) Lizzie. (laughs) Then here's the moment when she moves to a new town. I would be the new girl from the big city, a curiosity, a freak. (laughs) Well, yeah, with that attitude. (laughs) And then she talks about how flawed she is. So she wants you to know she's not a hot blonde, but she also casually makes clear she's a hot brunette. (laughs) Physically, I had never fit in anywhere. I was ivory-skinned. I had always been slender, but soft somehow. (laughs) I go, that sounds really hard for you. (laughs) My skin could be pretty. It was very clear, almost translucent looking. Like half the book is her saying, oh, I'm no cheerleader. I'm normal like you. And the other half is, but also I'm quite beautiful and every boy wants me. Yeah, like I'm not coordinated, but I've never (laughs) had a problem with acne. Yeah, you know how every guy is like, oh, I want to date this girl, but she trips a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's the Bella sense of humor. So this guy says, you don't look very tan. And she says, my mother is part albino. And when he doesn't laugh, she sighs and thinks, it looks like clouds and a sense of humor don't mix. (laughs) (laughs) That joke should have killed. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. This is a classic, this is my world of... The comic blaming the audience for a bad joke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then there's Edward, who I know we've talked about how, like, abusive and creepy he is. I want to talk about how he's such a loser. (laughs) So he smirks and laughs at her 70 times in the book, and I didn't have the energy to count the chuckles. (laughs) And he's always acting like he's above it all. But it's like, dude, you're 103 and in high school, you're not above anything. You could have just told people you were homeschooled and lived your life. Also, you you know that thing when you're a kid, when you're like, oh, I won't tell you who I have a crush on, so don't ask. But you really, really want people to ask. That's how Edward is with being a vampire. Because he's like, I can't tell you my secret, but do you have any theories about me? And she's like, radioactive spider? And he's like, that's not very creative. Oh, and vampire is creative? (laughs) It is crazy. So obviously they have the ability, or they know a guy, to fake their own IDs. So why... (laughs) (laughs) If you still want to be a teenager, why not get a fake ID that you're... 18 so that you don't have to continue (laughs) reliving high school or you could at least like scope out the community college women (laughs) like you waited 103 years you couldn't wait one more (laughs) like is this is this their life every year they have to move so that edward can be a senior in a different high school (laughs) (laughs) anyway i hate edward so much He might be my least favorite character. I will pay $10 to the fan who writes in with the funniest fan fiction paragraph of Edward being murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And I might read my favorite on the podcast. Our email is thebookpilepodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. 
All right. Lesson five. This is the opposite of a guidebook for teenagers. Bella should be nobody's hero. <laughs> Here are just a few of the things that Bella does that are never addressed as a weakness or something that she overcomes later. And I'm thinking of this in terms of, of my, my daughter reading this, or anyone who read this and named their own daughter after Bella. Fun fact, <laughs> it was the number one name in the United States in 2007. Wow. Bella, she sneaks out of her house she lies about traveling to another city with a boy. She lies about where she's going in general. At one point, she intentionally takes too much cold medicine so that she can fall asleep. Like, this is what teenage oh, girls are reading and lonely 60-year-old women. She says, quote, <laughs> I woke up early. This is what she says about the next day. I woke early, having slept soundly thanks to my gratuitous drug use. <laughs> Her sense of humor is so like hit or miss that this it just sounds like a factual statement like she's writing in her diary. You touched on this. She has no personality. Her big thing is that she's a klutz, and that's not a personality. Like Even when she starts to do something mildly interesting at one point, she starts reading Sense and Sensibility, she gives up on it because one of the main characters' names is Edward. And that, to me is the worst lesson of this whole story. This book is about a girl whose entire identity is based on her obsession with a boy and liking mm -hmm. a boy, dreaming about a boy, learning about a boy, and who will eventually marry the only boy she ever dated. And that's one less person than Harry Potter dated before getting married. <laughs> I will say about Sense and Sensibility... Edward Cullen and Edward Ferris do have striking similarities. They're both rich white dudes who at first seem unavailable and then become available, and they were born the same year. <laughs> <laughs> and if it seems like I'm exaggerating, here's a direct quote from the book. Bella says, What was the other choice? To cut Edward out of my life? Intolerable. Besides, since I'd come to Forks, it really seemed like my life was about him. <laughs> it's such a terrible thing to teach. Like, my daughter's 17. She's studying the SAT. She's deciding where to go for college. She's deciding what she wants to do with her life. And Bella, like, her entire senior year, she doesn't even, like, try and make friends. She's just fixated on dating a literal monster. <laughs> it almost seems like a man wrote this book. Like, to me, <laughs> it makes more sense that a guy would create a female character who's like, the meaning of my life is a cute boy. Yeah, the fact that Edward says phrases like, you are utterly absurd, you know that author wears a fedora. <laughs> you know he was scratching his goatee when he said that. <laughs> So the takeaway for me is don't let your kids read this book. <laughs> or if you do, at least take a permanent marker to the title and rename it What Not to Do at Twilight. I like that your daughter, if she listens to this podcast, now has the perfect template for how to rebel against you. <laughs> Step one, buy either a Team Edward or Team Jacob shirt. <laughs> Because both of them are losing teams. <laughs> so I, I haven't read the follow-up books, but 
My sisters tell me her relationship with Jacob is actually, like, decently healthy. But I, I haven't read them, so I can't speak to that. Just to let you know how disturbing this all gets if we don't get to whatever the last book is called. Eclipse. I'm sad that I know that it's Breaking Dawn. Oh, uh, Breaking Dawn. <laughs> Just to let you know how disturbing it gets. And spoilers ahead for the last book. Bella and Edward get married. They have a daughter. Disturbing thing number one is that they named their daughter after her mother, Renee, and Edward's adoptive mother, Esme, uh, to form Renesme, which is like the least <laughs> clever hybrid of two names. But then disturbing thing number two is that Jacob imprints with Renesme, which means that they are soulmates and one day they will both get married. Oh my gosh. I like it, that you framed that like those were two equally disturbing things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very objectifying move, too, of Jacob to basically say after after Bella turns him down, that's cool, girl, I just wanted to get with your genes. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically it. That's the weird twist is that apparently werewolves imprint with each other, and that's how they know that they're going to be soulmates. And so that's the, the justification is that Jacob was like, I always thought I was imprinting with you. It turns out I was imprinting with your future infant. Oh my gosh. What he was just he was drawn to that single ovum. <laughs> I remember that there are long stretches of chapters. The child starts to get older and uh, Jacob is like playing with Renesbe as a toddler. And for me, like as Edward as the dad, I would be like, uh uh nope. <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know why there wasn't more backlash against that. Yeah. I guess once you're on board with a series, you're just on board no matter what. But can you imagine if in the last Harry Potter book, uh, Hermione starts dating Dumbledore? <laughs> and it was just written as a, as a normal thing. I feel like at that point, you weed out the purists. Yeah, if anything, when Jacob and Prince on Renesbe, Bella might have been like, oh, only a 20-year gap? He's a little young for you. <laughs> <laughs> on like a slightly different subject, I've thought before, so in, in Game of Thrones, Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark, they were war buddies. And Robert Baratheon is like, you have a daughter, I have a son, we'll like arrange a marriage and join our houses. And I just think it's so funny that it's like, hey, bro, you want to, like, mix our DNA? <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, think about how grateful I am to live in an era where you can marry for love and not just to forge alliances between countries. <laughs> <laughs> I want to throw out there that I think probably most of my ancestors were not marrying for either of those things. <laughs> Yeah, I guess for most of history, a wedding proposal sounded more like well, the, the guy gets down on one knee because he only has one leg, and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, look, I forget your name, but the mortality rate is twenty four. So how about we do this? <laughs> All right, random facts. So as I said before, Twilight is an opposite guidebook for teenagers, but it's also an opposite Beauty and the Beast story. <laughs> Not just the fact that like her name is subtly named Bella, but it's about 
a teenage girl who falls in love with an attractive person who is actually a decrepit old man on the inside. <laughs> sort of a Dorian Gray situation. <laughs> Credit where credit's due. I do like a story title that has a double meaning, like the movie Up in the Air or Soul or Snakes on a Plane. But <laughs> the original title of Twilight was going to be Forks, <laughs> which I I would have loved it if she really was trying for uh, for layered meaning there. If Stephanie Meyer was like, get it? Because it's the name of the town. And vampires have pokey teeth. <laughs> and it's what they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love what that book series would have been then. Like, it segues with the Knives Out universe. <laughs> the one where they get married is called Sporks. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of my favorite passages from the book. Jim was brutal. We'd moved on to basketball. My team never passed me the ball, so that was good. But I fell down a lot. <laughs> and I'm just picturing Kristen Stewart walking up and down a basketball court and repeatedly falling over, arms flailing, with no one around her. <laughs> when we walked out of class, the air was full of swirling bits of white. <laughs> like, yeah, you grew up in Phoenix, but I know you know that snow. <laughs> yeah, like if you... If you grew up in Phoenix, you know what the ocean is. <laughs> yeah. Like, you wouldn't take a trip to California and be like, what is this giant lake? <laughs> a line from Edward we can all relate to. It's a bit easier to be around you when I'm not thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this one. I tried to make my smile alluring. He smiled back, looking allured. <laughs> oh, no. It is funny to me, like, I've read a couple of BuzzFeed lists that have, like, the dumbest quotes from Fifty Shades of Grey, but Fifty Shades of Grey is literally a fan fiction of Twilight, and so it's it's so funny to me that, that there's a list of dumb quotes from this one book when it's like, I mean, yeah, but did you check the source material? <laughs> She's actually very faithful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, the other thing that bothers me about Bella's being clumsy is that I know that it's an attempt to make Bella more human, uh, but I just I hate the fact that she's trying to exploit this thing so that like young women readers are like, oh, I'm clumsy too. Maybe someday <laughs> the hottest guy on the planet will only like me. <laughs> Well, yeah, I do think it's the same kind of wish fulfillment that we talked about with Harry Potter. And it's probably hypocritical of me that I love the wish fulfillment in Harry Potter and not in Twilight because <laughs> one is more geared toward me. But it is very much like, hey, I know you seem normal and like klutzy and you're not a cheerleader, but secretly every boy loves you. And especially this special boy who is magic and vampire, he loves you even though his stepsister is super hot. He's not into his stepsister at all. That's how special <laughs> you are. And he says he's been wandering the world for 103 years waiting for you to be born. <laughs> yeah, like you didn't. I wish that Bella would have had a good friend at this point to, to point out, like, look, Edward probably says this to every girl. <laughs> 
you know, vampires, they got a girl in every cave. <laughs> like, after he's been married 10 times, when each of them dies, <laughs> this is how he starts over again. He eats everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime a 103-year-old tells you you're the first woman he's loved... <laughs> So yeah, it is it's super wish fulfillmenty and it's hypocritical that I'm like, "Oh man, Harry Potter is so much better. I love a book that tells me I'm a rich famous athlete." <laughs> I guess the difference is that in Harry Potter, Voldemort's not trying to date Harry. <laughs> uh Dave, did you take offense to this in the in the book that the, the vampires call themselves vegetarians because they only eat animals? <laughs> I should try that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's an awesome idea. <laughs> you're just uh, like digging into a porterhouse, and your friends are like, "I thought you were a vegetarian," and you're like, "Yeah, this isn't a person." Are they vegan? Because they only eat vegans. <laughs> Stephanie Myers says that she dreamed the idea of Twilight, but I want to know, like. <laughs> What exactly did she dream of? Was it writing a novel about two broody main characters? <laughs> I am a big believer in the power of like dreams or like the muses speaking to you. Like, you know, Frankenstein was inspired by a dream. Paul McCartney got yesterday in a dream. Mendeleev apparently got like the whole structure of the periodic table of elements in a dream. But I do think it's funny when the dream muses give you like, a really bad idea. <laughs> so I, I like writing songs. In the past couple of months, I won't be working on a song, and these song ideas will just pop into my head unbidden, and they're all bad. <laughs> so it's like the hackiest muses are speaking to me. <laughs> I want to know how many times in history that someone has actually worked really hard on something, but then it just seems it just... A much more fun answer when you can say that you dreamt it. <laughs> so I, I do think there's a sort of like free association that allows you to kind of synthesize different ideas in a dream. And apparently, I don't know if this story is apocryphal, Thomas Edison liked it so much and he found it so useful that he would sit upright in a chair and deliberately fall asleep, but he would have these two big ball bearings in his hand. And he'd be chewing on an idea while falling asleep. And then when he fell asleep, he would drop the ball bearings and it would wake him up. And then he would do it over and over again. And so he was trying to cultivate as much as possible that sort of in-between stage with sleep that it inspires those sort of like creative jumps. I guarantee you that's a fake story because <laughs> Thomas Edison had it in the contract that of the hundreds of people he employed, whenever one of them invented something new, his name, Thomas Edison's name, went on the patent. So I guarantee you he heard someone else tell that ball-bearing story. <laughs> and he's like, that's good, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> the Twilight movies alone, just five movies made $3.3 billion. Wow. Why do you think that it had such a short cultural shelf life compared to something like Harry Potter? The way someone in my life, the way they described Twilight to me was like junk food, which was when they first read it, it was very addictive and you had to have the next thing and you devoured it. And then at the end, you're not satisfied at all. 
you know that it doesn't really have substance and you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> I, can, I guess I could relate with that because like I said in my early 20s, I did enjoy it at the time. And I guess it, one thing that she does well, albeit in an unsatisfying way at the end, like you just described or your friend described, is that a good story will answer questions while asking new ones so that there's a carrot that gets you to perpetually turn the pages. Not that I've ever written a successful novel, but I think that at least Stephanie Meyer has the idea right, even if Twilight is basically a 700-page CW script. <laughs> I think my two biggest answers are that Harry Potter has way more substance, and Harry Potter has characters you would actually want to hang out with, mm. except in your <laughs> case, Ron. <laughs> and Twilight just has people that you wouldn't necessarily respect, but you would pick them for your baseball team. <laughs> Something else I learned from this book is that if you're a peeping Tom and someone catches you, just tell them that you're guarding them. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? Can you imagine like you're getting dressed and you notice someone with binoculars and a tree outside your window and they're like, it's okay, I'm, I'm keeping you safe. <laughs> it's fine, I'm handsome. <laughs> it is crazy though, again, framing it with like, if Edward was just like an unattractive kid and he's like standing in her room, she wouldn't be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> And the fact that he has the gall to say he's keeping her safe when he is by far the biggest danger to her. Right. <laughs> he's like, yeah, just uh, just in case a burglar breaks in and, and wants to drink your blood. <laughs> <laughs> your delicious blood. <laughs> All right, to recap, our five favorite question mark lessons from Twilight. One, kids, if you ever date someone like Edward, leave. Two, when looking for a man, ignore every red flag and you'll be happy. Three, when revisiting mythology, just add glitter. Four, write good characters. Five, Twilight is the opposite of a guidebook for teenagers. And six, if you're going to spy on your neighbor... Just make sure that you're like at least an eight. 